It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by Price Picks. Price Picks is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use the code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week, you might be already in it, it might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grimly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Locked On Grizzlies podcast. I'm your host, Mark King. What a game from the Grizzlies last night. An instant classic. I thought the Grizzlies were going to get their first win this week. I did not expect it to come in that fashion. Uh, what a crazy, crazy game. We're going to talk about that game the weekend roundup in the first two segments of this show today. We'll talk about that game as well as the game against the Bulls in the last segment of this show as we do every single Monday. We'll have our Monday mailbag segment where we'll answer some of your questions, we got a lot of questions this week, so I'll try to get to all of them. I probably won't, but I'll get to most of them as well. So stay tuned for that third segment. We'll talk about all that and more on this edition of Locked On Grizzlies. Pull up jump shot. It's good. Zach Randolph does it again. Three-point game. They've got to go for three now. No choice. Conley for three. You 
are Locked On Grizzlies, your daily Memphis Grizzlies podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. John Morant has been upgraded to superstar, period. End of story. What a game from John Morant last night. There are so many things I want to talk about, and I'll try to get to all of them, but we're going to start off the show with our weekend roundup. We're going to talk about the two games that the Grizzlies played over the weekend on Friday and yesterday. Uh, man, yesterday's game was just so much fun. I didn't, I didn't actually get to watch it live. I watched it on a delay because I took out the family to a to the Zubu. Great event, by the way, at Memphis Zoo. Uh, fantastic time over there. The kids loved it. But I was over there doing that, and I watched the first half live and then I watched the second half in overtime when I got home and as I'm watching the game last night I just I was trying to stay away from all social media because I didn't want to ruin it but I did get one notification at the zoo and all I saw was thrilling finish was a notification I got from ESPN so I was like okay that's weird tried to hide it didn't look at it didn't see the who won but the Grizzlies are down I think like what was it eight in the last few minutes to go and I'm thinking to myself, how is it going to be a thrilling finish when they're down eight? And enter Ja Morant is how they were able to do that. I mean, just an amazing, amazing game from him. It took him all of three games to really get into it. As we talked on this show before, how was he going to do against elite point guards like Kyrie Irving? That is what I wondered out loud. That is what I thought about. How would that offense translate to guys like Kyrie? And guess what? Uh, it translated pretty awesome. Kyrie having 37 and seven and, uh, your boy John Morant had 30 and nine. So I'd say pretty damn easily translated, uh, you know, just really something that you want to see, you know, part of that was Jaron Jackson Jr. Got in foul trouble. So he wasn't on the floor in crunch time, you know, when it really mattered. And, and John Morant, uh, there were several times where he sized up his defender, looked him in the eye knew that he was better than him and just went right at him. Like that I love was my favorite part about last last game is seeing John Moran look at his defenders, knowing he can get by them, knowing he is better than them and going right at him, going right down the throats. And then when he scores on them, pumping up the crowd like that right there is a killer instinct that you love to see in the third game from your rookie point guard, like period end of story. That was awesome from John Moran. Uh, not to mention again, just Incredible defense on Kyrie Irving late. I mean, the ability to stay down, not go for that little head fake that Kyrie gets so many people with. And he actually got him with this same head fake earlier in the game. I have no idea if John Morant remembers that or not, but he gets John Morant with the same head fake earlier in the game. But the second time at the end of the game, he doesn't go for that little head fake, doesn't get off his feet. He he starts to, but it just I mean, he doesn't actually jump, but and he able to get the block. I mean, that is really, really solid defense. Uh, you know, they they respect John Morant. I mean, they, they end up putting Spencer and Didwinnie on John Morant late, a bigger guard to try to slow him down. Uh, it didn't work. I mean, he was he took 22 shots. I mean, he was not incredibly efficient. He was 13 for 22, but he was out there going to the rack every single time. Didn't shoot the ball from three well, but that's not his strong suit. And actually, I think Kyrie Irving was asked about that after the game, they said that they were actually trying to get Ja to shoot three more, kind of shading him, trying to give him that space to be able to take those threes. Uh, but he didn't settle. He didn't settle, and he went straight to the rack every single time. That's something that is incredibly, incredible, encouraging to see from Ja Morant. 
you know, I just I can't say enough good things about the way he played last night against somebody, another point guard who could have easily uh, torched him last night, could have easily backed down, but he didn't, and I, that that's encouraging to see. Um, the other other uh, big player, obviously the other franchise cornerstone, John ja Morant, didn't have a good game last night. You know, got in foul trouble early that really limited him, uh, and that's something I think he's going to continue to struggle with. But he'll have to he'll have to get that under wraps. I mean, with the backcourt, we saw this last night rear its ugly head with the bigs rotation, especially with Jonas Valanciunas on a minutes restriction restriction last night. You're going into the the overtime with Solomon Hill and Kyle Anderson as your bigs. I mean, I just don't think that's, that is not sustainable. I really don't think that's sustainable uh, to be able to do that long-term. But, so John Moran's going to have to get, or excuse me, Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to have to get that under control. However, the Bulls game, I thought he played great. I mean, he had 23 and 11, uh, was four for four for six from the from free throw, nine for 17 from the, from the field. He takes, you know, he took the most shots. Like, Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant should be taking the most shots on this team. Last night it was John Morant, 22 shots, and and that's okay. Like you know, they're they're gonna have times where maybe Jaws got it going, maybe Jaron's got it going. Those things are going to happen. Jaron Jackson Jr. taking the most shots uh, in the Bulls game, and John Morant didn't have a great game that night either. He only had uh, 10 and five, at 28 points. I mean, you know that that's okay. Ja, they played Ja very different in the Bulls game. They they blitzed the high pick and roll every time they got off the roll. Like every time coming around. They were blitzing Ja, and they were shading an additional defender off the weak side to shade into the lane. Like that's how much respect John Rant has garnered in his second. That was his, you know, what is that? His second game as a, as a rookie. Like that is incredible that they're blitzing him already to stop that drive, and they're shading someone to to discourage the drive. So like John Rant's gonna have to learn how to pick his head up earlier and look for the pass earlier if they're gonna people are gonna do that. The Nets didn't do that, which was surprising. I thought everybody would see that that tape on uh, what you know the Bulls did with John Morant, and they will, by the way, they will see what the Bulls did with John Morant. But I thought everybody would would see that, and because it was effective, it, it really limited John Morant's ability to get to the rack, and that is his that's his best offense. It it really limited what he was able to do in the game, and so I thought you know more teams are going to go back and see okay how do you stop how 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 do you limit him. And that's an effective strategy. The Bulls were able to do that really, really well uh, with John Morant. Uh, but that opened up things with Jaron Jackson Jr. I mean, that opened up things uh, going towards the basket a little bit more for Jaron. So those type of things are going to happen. Like they're going to pay play Jaw if they if they start to blitz. Jaw's going to have to look up sooner, look for Jaron sooner, especially if they put Jaron and Jaw in the pick and roll together. Look for Jaron sooner, sooner or split the defender. Like he's if he's able to split that defense, and then that opens up a lot of things. If he splits two defenders, he's leaving them at the three point line. Jaron's already rolling to the basket. There's a lot of possibilities that he's able to do. So he's going to have to learn how to do that. The teams are going to pick up on that, on his ability to drive and tra- start limiting that. They're going to send send a couple defenders at him. So you know, basically, the blitzing that high pick is what I mean by that is once he comes around the screen, that second defender that was with the five was the, with the roll man. Instead of going with the roll man, he's staying high with the uh, with, with John Morant, the pick man. So that is what they'll have to do. I mean, he'll have to recognize that because other teams are going to look at tape and say, okay, well, what they do in the next game, 
They didn't do that in the next game. He was able to get around defenders. They played him one-on-one in the pick and roll. He's able to get around defenders quite easily and go straight to the bucket. In the Bulls game, he had trouble. So what did they do in the Nets game? He did well. What did they do in the Bulls game? That he struggled. They're going to see that. They're going to come back to that. So he's going to have to learn how to do that. But that being said, if they're going to play him straight up, he was awesome. Awesome. Jaron Jackson Jr., good game, bad game. The fouls are directly related to that. End of story. Those have, I mean, those two guys, obviously your 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 best players. Uh, those two players, uh, Jaron's gonna is directly related to being on the court when you need him the most. The other thing with Jaron Jackson Jr. is that at the end of games, especially this was especially apparent in the Bulls game. Also notice it in the second in the going into the end of the second quarter in the Nets game as well. They got to get Jaron the ball. Jaron has to at least touch the ball. He has to at least touch the ball on every possession down the stretch when it matters most. He may not score on that possession. I'm not asking him to take the shot. I'm asking him to touch the ball. Because when he touches the ball, it brings multiple defenders. People have to worry more about Jaron Jackson Jr. than Marco Goodrich. End of story. Or Solomon Hill for that matter. They're going to worry more about what he does. He's going to bring additional defenders, and that will open up things. Maybe that opens up a different person at, at the three-point line in the corner. You never know when you get Jaron involved in the offense. And too many a times, the guards are going down the court. Dylan Brooks, I'm looking at you. You're going down the court and not even passing it to, to, to Jaron, not getting him involved. And so they're going to have to find more ways creatively to get him involved, get him touching the ball every single possession down the stretch especially when the game was on the line like it was at the Bulls game. Like, you know, he wasn't in, obviously, the Nets game, so that doesn't matter. But at the end of the second half in the Nets game as well, same thing happened. About six or seven possessions in a row, he was kind of non-existent. They're going to have to find that. Also, it goes on Jaron. Got to go over there and tell them, guys, look, give me the ball. Give me the ball. Let me go do something. That's on Jaron as well. I think that will come with time. I think Taylor Jenkins will realize that he's <laughs> that you have to get Jaron involved. He's one of the best players on the team. So I'm not too worried about that right now. It's just something that I noticed. Let's take a quick break. We will be right back and talk more about the weekend roundup. Talk more about some of the secondary players that had good games, bad games throughout the weekend. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering promo code LOCKEDON at checkout. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome back to the show. Some of the other guys on the court that uh, are worth mentioning and talking about from the weekend roundup. Brandon Clark, 
I'm continually impressed with the way Brandon Clark plays this game. Such a high IQ guy, so smart uh, that just he does. He's literally everywhere on the court. I think I typed out in my game notes from Friday that Brandon Clark is literally everywhere. I mean, it, it's it's still. Um, it's just impressive to watch him play. He's a great rebounder, um, and his offensive game is is really, really good. The thing I'll say that Brandon Clark has to improve upon is that he's getting the ball a lot right there at the free throw line, and he's in that in-between whether he doesn't really know to, if he wants to shoot that floater, if he wants to to take back, you know, step back and take a jump shot. Like This really weird spot for him, and last, last night in a couple instances, uh, he got the ball, didn't really know what to do, kind of just stood there for a minute. Then people had to move to get open to get him the ball, you know, to get out of the lane. Like, and he's got to make a decision. He's got to make a decision what he's going to do when he gets into the lane. Uh, but he was incredibly efficient and really, really good on the, uh, Friday night against the Bulls. 25 minutes, 7 for 9, 14 points, 5 rebounds, and a negative 13 on plus minus. And that's why I always say I don't really love to use a plus minus stat because it really also depends a lot of who you're out there with. Um, Brett Clark in 25 minutes, seven for nine, 14 points, five rebounds, assists, a steal, three blocks, no turnovers, and he's minus 13. Again, I don't know how that's possible, but again, that's the stat. So take that for what it's worth. I don't really like to get too involved in, on that stat because it's it's a lot of times more about their more about who you're out there with and what's going on in the game than individual play as well. But uh, he was inc- you know incredibly efficient that game. Uh, he wasn't as efficient. Uh, at the Nets, only five for twelve. He was, took three points. He took three three pointers. Love to see that. Didn't make any. That's okay. Um, but ten point seven rebounds to assist, still block. I mean, really, really good on the court. Does a lot of different things for this team. He'll continue to see minutes. I think he'll probably continue to see 25, 27 minutes a game. But I love to see it. Love to love to see him continue to uh, be more part of this offense. I think if once he learns how to make those quick decisions. Um, at the free throw line, whether he's going to jump, drive, uh, you know, floater, pass back out, any of those type of things, just you got to make a decision with the ball to know what you're going to do. Speaking of making decisions, Marco Guterich, uh has not been great. Uh, he was played 17 minutes in the in, in the uh, Bulls game, only had seven points, three for eight, only got one three pointer, only played six minutes in the Nets game. Uh, he got an early start, early call, but uh, you know. Taylor Jenkins decided to end up going with Solomon Hill as that as that last person. So, Marco Goodrich is the thing is that he he has not impressed me with his defensive ability on the court, but most importantly is when the the Grizzlies have now Taylor Jenkins has now instilled instilled this offensive system that the ball moves a lot and it's and it's fantastic to see because it's something that has not really been done with this organization. In a long time, maybe ever, but when the when Goodrich gets the ball in the corner, his decision making ability is so low right now because you're swinging the ball. If you go back and look at some of his plays, they swing the ball, it gets to him, and he just doesn't know what to do. And he usually gets the ball when he's open, and that's the time you got to let it fly. But a lot of times he doesn't let it fly; he just stands there and lets the defender recover, does a pump fake. And the defender doesn't go for it. And then he does a pump fake, kind of half drive, or just stands. I mean, there's just so many indecisions that it affects him negatively so bad. I mean, just so many indecisions. He just he has to make a decision quicker. Same thing with Brennan Clark. We talked, we talked about 
Goodrich is about 10 times worse, though. He has to make a decision on what he's going to do with the ball. When the ball is coming to you, you should already know what you're about to do with the ball. Whether that's if you see a defender closing out, pump fake, and drive by him, because if the defender's closing out, his momentum is coming at you, that's when you want to pump fake and go so that he doesn't have time to recover. Once he's standing flat-footed in front of you and you pump fake, he doesn't have to do anything. He just stand there. There's no momentum carrying him one way or the other. There's no advantage for you to do that move. And so Goodrich should already know when he gets the ball, swing it to him, what he's going to do, whether that's shoot, pump, fake, or drive, or pass the ball back out. Doesn't matter what he's going to do. He just got to know what he's going to do before he gets before he gets the ball. I think that's his major disadvantage right now. He just has, every time that he gets the ball, the movement of the offense just completely stops and it kills any momentum they had, any, any ball swing they had to get people open and good shots. He kills it. Uh, and, and that's unfortunate to see because, uh, I like the idea of Marco Goodrich, but I think it might take some more time for him to get there. Uh, Tyus Jones didn't have a great night uh, against the Nets. He only played uh, 17 minutes, I believe. He played a little bit more against the uh, Bulls as well. Didn't, it didn't really have a great week- weekend altogether. It was only one for five against the Bulls. He was one for 10 against the Nets. Uh, obviously, these shooting percentages are, are uh, shots a little skewed. They took a, they had 100, 134 points. They took uh, 103 shots. So that's way more than they used to. I put it like this. They only took 100 shots once all year last year in any game. And they took 94 shots at the uh, against the Bulls. They took 103 against the Nets. Uh, it's something they'll probably get more used to as they had another. They have another 60 point first half for the Grizzlies as well. But again, Tyus Jones didn't have a great game. Uh, Dylan Brooks was up and down. Dylan Brooks really, really struggled against the Bulls. Um, you know, they 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 did a number on him defensively. Um, the biggest thing with the with the Grizzlies defensively that we saw in the Bulls game is that the wings just they could not contain uh they could not contain the bulls the, the the bulls wings basically the perimeter guards Kobe White and Zach Levine 37 and 25 points together i mean that's just that's insane uh you you know the 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 part about defensive breakdowns is that first pick and roll if it gets beat if that first pick and roll gets beat and that defender or seen that that offensive player gets into the teeth of the defense whether that's Kobe White or Zach Levine then he has so many options now Whoever your five is, or whoever your big man is, has to step up. Once he has to step up, now that offensive player can kick it to the wing. He can continue the drive, kick it to the left or right wing. Any of those are his options at that point. Once the once the five man and the Grizzlies has to has to step up and stop that drive, then the wing player from the corner three has to rotate to the center to stop anything else from happening. So like, there's a lot of things that happen and a lot of things that break down simply by getting beat on the first pick and roll. And Dylan Brooks got beat every single time. Kobe White uh, or Zach Levine were literally getting by whomever they wanted uh, for the Grizzlies. And it was usually Dylan Brooks. Um, they just, they killed him in that, in that game. And if you want to know about the plus minus that Dylan Brooks got killed in that game was terribly, terrible offensively. And was a, was a neutral was plus zero basically in that game had six points, uh, two for 12 and was terrible defensively. So if that gives you an indication of what that stat means. So it just wasn't a great game for Dylan Brooks. It's good to see him come back out against the Nets, play really well. There were some times when he looked off, or Jaron Jackson Jr., when he took shots, he probably should have took, taken. But I think for the most part, he played within the offense, played within himself, was 3 for 6 from 3, 9 for 15 from the field for 21 points. That's the Dylan Brooks you need. He doesn't have to score 21 every night, but you need him to be effective and efficient so that when he does shoot the three ball or has a threat to shoot the three ball, they 
honor it, and they go out to and they recover. All those things open up the offense. Last thing I'll say about the weekend is Kyle Anderson looks way better. Talked to him after the game on Friday. Uh, he said he doesn't feel right, but doesn't know when it's going to be, and he's going to have to start playing through it. Uh, but is capable enough to keep doing what he's doing. But he looks he looks effective when he's out there. It looks really good. The shot looks smoother. Uh, he looks to be more aggressive with his shot, which I like to see. Uh, Taylor Jenkins mentioned on Friday night about getting him uh, the ball as, as a ball handler more. I asked him specifically about that Friday night. Uh, he said he, that's what his best skill set is, is handling the ball, getting people involved. And so that will be interesting to see if we can actually do that. I don't know. Taylor Jenkins said it before. Other coaches have said it before, and that's never happened. Uh, but Kyle Anderson understands that is his best role, but also knows he's going to do whatever he needs to do for this team. So that was interesting to see. Let's take one more quick break. We'll come back and do the Monday mailbag segment for this Monday, like we do every single week. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Welcome into the last segment of the show that we do every single Monday, the Monday mailbag portion of the show. Again, if you have questions, make sure you send those in to me every single week you can. DM them to me on Twitter. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at King underscore producer. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter at Locked on Grizz. That's where I'll do do most of the uh, Twittering for this season. So if you want to talk after the show, that's where you can hit me up. Again, you can DM me. I usually put out a tweet on Sunday to reply to that specific tweet with your questions. Or you can DM them to me. Or you can email them to me at Locked on Grizz at gmail.com, and I'll answer them that way as well. So make sure you get your questions in all week long so that we can answer them on Monday. Uh, I'll go ahead and start. Uh, Grizz Prime had several questions, so I'll try to answer all these uh, pretty quickly. Uh, who are some of the wings we should, we should target at the deadline? Um, you know, just off the top of my head, I know Malik Beasley is one that everybody loves to throw out, and so uh, I'll say that as well. Um, some other guys that you probably... Uh, that we probably talked about before in, in Memphis. Uh, I think Marcus Smart would probably be someone to take a look at. Uh, Miles Bridges from the Hornets, somebody I uh, was hoping that they would get traded to the Grizzlies last year. Although I don't think he's probably gettable. I think Hornet, the Hornets probably want to hold on to him. Um, I'm not sure if uh, that it's, it's something that the Grizzlies are going to be able to have enough assets to be able to get someone like that. Uh, but it, you always make the call and, 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 and try to find out. Uh, Will Barton. From Denver would be somebody I would take a look at. I think he just signed a new contract this offseason. So his, his money goes up next year, but I think that uh, it's somebody you should take a look at. But uh, Josh Hart would probably be another guy that I don't think gets enough talk about in this city. But Josh Hart will be somebody I definitely think the Grizzlies should take a look at. Shoots the ball really, really well. 
Uh, I'm not sure if he's in a long term plans in the in the Pelicans uh, franchise. He just got traded from the, with from the Lakers, so uh, I'm not sure what the long term plan is if he's is he's a, if he's involved in that. Um, so that's somebody I would definitely make a call on. Shoots the ball from like 40, 35, 38 percent from three. Uh, the Grizzlies could really use that as a young guy uh, still on his. I believe he's still on his rookie deal. Like, I, that's somebody I would take a, a call for after Malik Beasley. Uh, Josh Hart would probably be the person I would call about next. Um, next question from Briz Prime again: Should uh, how should how soon should we call up from Josh Jackson? Uh, you know, look, I, I I don't know where the whole Josh Jackson thing got started or where that came from about the idea of getting Josh Jackson on the court, but uh, you know. I'm not sure he's a guy that that helps you. He's not notoriously a fantastic shooter, um, but you know at this point I'm I'm not I'm not convinced that it's a bad reason not to give him a shot. I mean, the Grizzlies right now have a really really the biggest deficit deficit they have right now is at the wing spot. The wing spot is where they struggle with offense, they struggle with shooters, um, and as we noted in the in the the. Chicago game, they struggle on defense. So having a wing, a perimeter defender, somebody they they they'll have to have against elite wings throughout the season. So until they get there, until they find that or can have that, they'll continue to get dropped. And, and by every every game they've had so far, up to the Nets, they, it, it has been wings making it is killing them on the perimeter, getting to the bucket and score and and, and scoring the points. So I, I don't know if Josh Jackson's the answer. I really don't. I, I personally, I don't think he is. Uh, I don't think he's going to come in and just immediately be something that we never thought was possible. Or, more importantly, the coaching staff was possible. This is a guy they see all the time. They have access to him. They can. Uh, he's obviously it has been was been in practice. You know, like he's been there. So, like, if for some reason he's not there, I would probably assume that's for good reason. Whether that's off the court, on the court, I don't know. But. Uh, they know more about the player than we do. Um, if he's not even with the team, like logically, you have to think that maybe that's just there. There's a big, big red flag. If he's not even, if he can't be even be around the team, if he can't even show up to media days, if he can't even go to camp, there's something a big, big red flag for this front office for this coaching staff. And so far, the things they have done. I'm going to trust the coaching staff on that. I'm going to trust what they have have seen so far and done so far, and I'm going to trust this front office, knowing that they know more than we do. You know, that being said, if he if he got a call up and you put him on the court, I'd say it probably isn't. You know, give him a shot. It's not the worst thing, so like I, it's fine. But I don't know if just bringing Josh Jackson up is going to be the answer to any of your problems. Um, anybody that think, you know, anybody that's out there saying that, I, I don't think it's, it's, it's true. And I, I just, I think everybody's going to be sorely disappointed if it happens and he's just not very good. So, um, that's what I'll say about that. Uh, he had another question. Should we have traded Dylan at the deadline for Kelly Oubre? 1000%. Uh, you should have traded Dylan Brooks for Kelly Oubre. Kelly Oubre is a better player. Um, I, you probably could even go back and find the show that I did on that very thing last year about trading Kelly Oubre for Dylan Brooks. Probably at the time I said they would probably... Man, I mean, I, I think I lean towards trading it, but in hindsight, yeah, 100% should have traded for Gilly Oubre. Um, he is definitely a better player than uh, Dylan Brooks, I would I would assume at this point. Um, this comes from Jack, Zach Jackson. He says, how awesome would it be if the Grizzlies got lucky in the draft again this year and got a good wing player to go with John Jaron? It would be awesome, Zach. Be 100% awesome. Um, and there's a good chance they will. Look, I, I I love this team. I love seeing wins. I love seeing Ja play like that. Like, 
I even tweeted last night. I know that I've said be patient with J- with Ja Moran. Uh, it's going to take a long, long time to be good in this league. But f that dude. Let's let's be awesome with Ja right now. I love seeing him play like that. But I still think they're going to win. They're going to lose a lot more than they win. Like they're going to lose a lot of games, and it's going to be like last time. They're going to be a lot of fun ones though, where Ja just goes crazy, and it's going to be really, really fun. Uh, but there's still a really good chance they end up with a really, really bad record. And they end up in the top three or four in this draft class. And so, yeah, that's the that's the hope is that you do get a high draft pick and that you're able to take what you have with Ja and Jaron, possibly add one more piece that is a good, good player. And then you go out of next year and restrict your free agency or free agent in general. And guess what? You have over $50 million to spend. You don't have to spend it. If you don't feel like you're going to be good, you could take on bad money and get more picks. You could play the long game. But if we wanted to go out and make a splash and get talented players here, like we've talked about on the show last week with the idea of restricted free agents, you can go and do that. You can go and give max contracts to people, not long-term max contracts, but you can give max contracts because in a few years, you're going to have to give money to Ja and Jared. So you can't give just everybody money for a long period of time because you're going to run out when it comes to pay Jaron Jackson Jr. a few years. So you got to keep that in mind as well. So hopefully... Hopefully, they're able to do that, add another player, maybe go out and add one max player next year, and they leave some room for Jaron after that. Again, I make sure you guys get your questions in every single week for the Monday Mailbag. It's the third segment in every single Monday show. Uh, it gives us something to talk about. Make sure you send the questions in all week long. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter, at LockedOnGrabs. That's where I put out a tweet to ask for those questions as well every Sunday. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, at King underscore producer that's where we'll continue the conversation after the show if you've not already subscribed to the show make sure you do so in whatever podcast platform that you choose whether that's stitcher spotify overcast or any of the other ones if you're in apple itunes make sure you go leave a review and rate the show really helps us in the itunes rankings if you don't know where to go after all that just go to lockdowngorzies.com Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.